Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Tabula Rasa Healthcare Third Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. If you require any further assistance during the conference, please press star 0, and an operator will be happy to assist you. I would now like to hand the conference over to Kevin Dill, Corporate Counsel for Tabula Rasa Healthcare. Thank you, and please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and good morning. I'm Kevin Dill, Corporate Counsel for Tabula Rasa Healthcare. The company intends to avail itself of the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Certain statements made during this call will be forward-looking statements within the meaning of that law. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause Tabula Rasa Healthcare's actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. These risks and uncertainties include the developing nature of the market for technology-enabled healthcare products and services, and potential changes to laws and regulations that may impact our clients. For additional information on the risks facing Tabula Rasa Healthcare, please refer to our filings with the SEC, including the risk factors section of our 10-K filed on March 2, 2020. A recording of this call is accessible through a link on the Investor Relations page of our website, and it will be available for 90 days. I'll turn the call over to Dr. Calvin Knowlton, CEO, Chairman, and Founder of Tabula Rasa Healthcare. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for our third quarter 2020 earnings call. With me today are Dr. Ursula Knowlton, co-founder, chief marketing and new business development officer, Mr. Brian Adams, our chief financial officer, and Dr. Kevin Boseman, our chief sales officer. Ursula and Kevin will both be available to respond to questions after we conclude our prepared remarks. As a reminder, this conference call and webcast is accompanied by a PowerPoint presentation available at the IR section of our website, and I would encourage you to download the slides to follow along with our prepared remarks. While the ongoing pandemic impacted our third quarter results, we are continuing to see signs of recovery that we expect will be meaningful drivers of improved performance in 2021. Most notably, our October 2020 PACE net enrollment figures far exceeded our expectations. I want to focus my comments on four areas as reflected on slide number three. PACE, second, bookings, third, MedWise, fourth, Personica. First, the most encouraging data point heading into 2021 is our October 2020 PACE net enrollment, which more than doubled versus September, and is the highest figure we have seen in two years. Slide four highlights the trends we have discussed within our PACE census, which have now rebounded strongly off of the May trough. It is important to note these gains were broad-based 
with a number of PACE organizations recording their highest net enrollment figures of any month in 2020. In addition to the array of new entities coming into PACE, our current PACE organizations are expanding with new PACE centers. As we head into 2021, we have a solid PACE base as well as a strong pipeline of new centers opening. Our current backlog of new PACE openings or site extensions over the next 12 months has increased to 31. We are further encouraged by improved sales activity during the third quarter, which, would, which we would attribute to PACE organizations successfully adapting their business models to deal with COVID during the second quarter and now returning to efforts to grow their membership during the third quarter. According to the National PACE Association, covering more than 100 PACE organizations, the number of new COVID-19 cases and deaths in the four-week period ending in October 5th had, had fallen by 47% and 32% respectively versus the prior four-week period. Also, the bulk of the confirmed cases and deaths are shared by a relatively small number of PACE organizations, mostly concentrated in the Northeast. Specifically, nine PACE organizations comprise 41% of the cumulative reported cases, and six PACE organizations comprise 43% of the cumulative reported deaths. On to the second topic, bookings. Despite continued COVID-related challenges, third quarter bookings increased 12% as compared with the second quarter of 2020, and increased 15% as compared with a year ago. That excludes the COVID-19 test kits. Through the first three quarters of 2020, our total bookings have increased 22%. Much of this growth was driven by our payer segment, which accounted for 45% of total bookings year to date. Our wins in the payer segment through the first nine months of 2020 continue to be a bright spot with record third quarter bookings growing 50% on a sequential basis as compared to the second quarter and more than double compared to the first quarter of 2020. Over 40% of our 2020 bookings will be recognized in 2021. Third, last quarter, we highlighted the July launch of Medwise within our prescribed wellness community pharmacy network of more than 10,000 community pharmacies. This included a new feature known as MedWise Decision Support, enabling a pharmacist to simulate changes to a patient's medication regimen and visualize the impact on the MedWise risk score in real time while not disrupting the actual medication regimen. This past Monday, we announced a collaboration with Pioneer Rx to expand the reach of our MedWise and our clinical pharmacy support services to Pioneer's 4,700 pharmacies. This addition enables us to embed MedWise into more than 14,000 community pharmacies. We have two additional cohorts of community pharmacies we are working on, which would bring us up to 20,000 pharmacies. We also have a promising pipeline of additional MedWise application opportunities with health plans and with government agencies. And this will further expand the impact of our quality-enhancing and life-extending safe use of medication platform for 2021. Lastly, I wanted to welcome our new team members from Personica. In the first few weeks since 
the acquisition closed in early October, we already parlayed cross-selling to sign a new contract with an East Coast PACE organization, which starts in 2021. We are excited to add Personica's pharmacy services that provides us now with more than 27,000 new PACE members to this TRHC CareVention healthcare family. With one of our five PACE-focused CareVention services, we now touch more than 90% of all PACE organizations. Brian will now review the numbers. Brian? Thanks, Cal. I'm going to focus my comments today on three topics, MedWise, 2020 guidance, and 2021 guidance. While our CareVention healthcare segment performed as expected during the third quarter, our MedWise healthcare segment underperformed as medication safety services fell short of expectations due to two reasons. In order of importance, they are one, we experienced COVID-related delays with two large health plan contracts originally signed during the first quarter of 2020 that went live later than expected, effectively in the fourth quarter. The delays were driven by changes that allowed for early refills and increased quantity supplies for maintenance medications at the beginning of the pandemic, delaying the need to address medication adherence. Second, New restrictions related to CMRs performed with caregivers and prescribers slowed patient engagement in the third quarter. Subsequently, we have implemented tactics to complete the majority of those CMRs in the fourth quarter. Moving on to slide number six, for the full year 2020, we now expect total revenue to be in the range of 294 to $296 million, the midpoint of which represents 4% growth and non-GAAP adjusted EBITDA in the range of $21 to $22 million. The key factors influencing our adjustment to 2020 guidance are, one, the aforementioned temporary CMR challenges, and two, the negative impact from COVID-19 on medication adherence initiatives that are seasonally weighted towards the second half of the calendar year. Turning to slide number seven, we plan to provide formal 2021 guidance in conjunction with our fourth quarter and full year 2020 results. Based on all the factors we know at this time, we're comfortable that overall revenue can grow 20% in 2021 using the midpoint of our 2020 guidance. Given the performance of our MedWise unit in 2020, I wanted to spend some time to highlight several factors driving growth in 2021. First, we now have a committed timeline in our contract with HealthMart, which will positively impact our software subscription revenue growth beginning in the second quarter of 2021. Second, and shifting to medication safety services, as we have noted, CMS changes the percentage of Medicare patients for whom it was required to complete a CMR in order to achieve certain star ratings on an annual basis. These percentages increased significantly in 2019, making our 2020 comparisons challenging. Recently released CMS targets for CMRs are effectively neutral to a potential positive as the threshold for Medicare Part C and Part D plans to reach a four-star rating has increased modestly. Given the popularity of Medicare Advantage, we see health plans investing more in star ratings in order to ensure more of their membership is covered by four-star plans or higher to remain competitive as more seniors enroll in Medicare Advantage plans. Third, we added several large clients in 2020 and have several new health plans launching clinical programs in 2021. Fourth, in 2021, 
We will launch our MedWise Science as part of our core MTM services, allowing Medicare Advantage plans the ability to use our CMR and adherence programs to also prevent hospitalizations and emergency room visits. Adding 4,700 community pharmacies as the result of our new agreement with Pioneer Rx to our 10,000 prescribed wellness community pharmacies gives us further opportunity to drive adoption of our MedWise programs. Last, one of the 2020 headwinds we expect to dissipate in 2021 is our medication adherence-focused clinical interventions. In prior calls, we noted improved adherence rates in 2020 as the result of actions taken by CMS in the wake of the pandemic, including effectively waiving prescription refill limits, encouraging longer day supply, and relaxing restrictions on home or mail delivery. A recent industry report, Medication Adherence, Global Market Report 2020 to 2030, COVID-19 Growth and Change, confirms challenging market dynamics we have experienced as medication adherence market is projected to decline by 2% to $2.5 billion in 2020. We expect a return to normal in 2021, and the long-term outlook remains positive, estimated to grow to $3.6 billion by 2030, with a compound annual growth rate of 13%. With that, I will turn it back over to Dr. Knowlton for closing comments. Cal? Thanks, Brian. As we exit 2020, we are encouraged by many of our leading indicators for growth in 2021. This includes, one, the rebound we witnessed with our PACE membership, two, our PACE backlog of new PACE organizations and current PACE site expansions, three, the health of our MedWise sales pipeline, and four, with recent additions, our more experienced team in IT operations and sales. Operator, please open the call for question and answers. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star and the number one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Glenn Santangelo with Guggenheim. Your line is open. Taking the question. Uh, Brian, I just want to follow up on, on the, the, fisc, the revised fiscal 20 guidance a little bit. It, it kind of implies that you're not really expecting any, any sort of meaningful pickup in 4Q if we, if we use the midpoint of that revised guidance. And in your prepared remarks, you seem to suggest that it was COVID-related delays on two health plans that went live later than expected. It kind of sounds like they're live now. Should those revenues be be flowing through fourth quarter? And as as a secondary sort of consideration, you know, given the uptick in cases, it looks like to us that pace enrollment growth is is slowing. And so what sort of gives you confidence in, you know, as we head into fiscal 21 with that, you know, with with the projection that you made? Sure, Glenn. Thanks for the question. As it relates to Q4, we are expecting modest sequential growth, uh, excluding the Personica acquisition. Uh, As you note, the two larger health plan contracts did really uh, essentially get pushed to the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter is when we have the lowest number of CMRs that are completed for the payer division. Uh, So we do anticipate that that's going to be up slightly. 
Um, similarly, we will have a contribution from uh, these, these new contracts that did go live later. Uh, I will say that the, the reason that those have been delayed are, are really twofold. Uh, one, uh, the process for getting some of the communications uh, necessary to launch a new program, especially around one that's adherence-related, uh, have uh, been delayed throughout the year uh, due to the fact that internally at our customers, you know, most of the, the communications that were uh, being reviewed internally by their teams were focused on their uh, their members, and and um, so uh, those uh, new programs that were being launched did get delayed, and the fact that they were uh, adherence-related and adherence rates were up considerably in the first half of the year, it wasn't as much of a focus. So uh, that did lead to some delays. You know, we are seeing very positive signs going into next year, and even the fact that these programs have now launched, that, uh, you know, these will be pretty impactful and meaningful going forward. Uh, so modest uptick uh, in Q4, uh, but thinking forward uh, in terms of 2021, specifically as it relates to PACE, uh, we've got a couple really strong data points uh, that show over the past, uh, specifically in October, uh, that our census growth in, in our customer base is up uh, considerably from where it's been over the past few months, and in fact, double uh, what it was in September. And um, it's the highest that we've seen net enrollment in the past two years. So Brian, very encouraging signs. Yeah. If I could, if I could add, this is Cal. If I could add one thing to that, Glenn. Um, pace enrollment uh, happens in, in the first few days of every month. That's the way CMS has it set up. So three days in, as of our report five o'clock last night, um, with a couple more days to go, we are basically at the same run rate in November uh, with new 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 patients uh, as we were in October. So it, we haven't seen any any decline in that. Okay, and maybe I just ask one quick follow-up. I was just hoping to get a little bit more color on the comment in the release about the restrictions related to the CMRs. Could you maybe just elaborate a little bit by that, what you mean, and is there any sort of quantification you can give us, you know, on that front to help us as we think about, you know, the, the sort of the sustainability or lack thereof of, of that trend as we move into 2021? Thanks. Yeah, that's a great question, Glenn. I'll take that. This is uh, Kevin Bozen. The restrictions really have to do with tightening who you provide that CMR to. And so there was uh, some flexibility last year to do it with caregivers, prescribers. With this year, the focus is really on the patient themselves. So we've implemented some operational changes that allow us to engage patients a little bit more. Um, so the overall numbers, targets of, of patients uh, that plans are wanting to have a CMR with uh, has stayed relatively consistent. We expect that with the new CMR uh, star ratings to be consistent for uh, 2021 as well. Uh, it, it's, it's really given us an opportunity, to, though, to combine and leverage some of other technologies as far as um, accelerating some of the integration with our prescribed wellness network. Um, we'll have new opportunities to engage some of those patients directly with the new Pioneer partnership as well. So, uh, we've, we've made some changes to, to be a little bit more uh, other opportunities to engage patients and, and have made that adjustment. So we're well positioned next year. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from the line of Sean Dodge with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. 
Thanks. Uh, uh, good morning. Um, maybe maybe starting on bookings, I just wanted to make sure I understand some of the, the comments you've made there. Um, uh, you said 43% uh, represents 2021 revenue. Uh, the, the other 57%, I'm assuming, is, is 2020 revenue. But is, is that revenue from contracts that were implemented this year and, and, and potentially later in the year such that there will be a – uh, I, I guess a bigger kind of full year contribution next year. So, so some of this other 57% could be 2021 revenue too, or, or am I misinterpreting that? Uh, no, you're uh, correct. Yep. Sorry. This is, uh, thanks, Sean. Uh, this is Kevin again. Uh, no, you're correct. So the, uh, contracts that were signed in 2020 where that revenue, um, programs initiated in 2020, uh, do carry into 2021, um, and also relative to the types of contracts that we're signing, it many of those and, and most of them have really uh, are, are centered around our core Medwise safety science. So not only is it a nice growth in um, payer contracts, and and we're optimistic about 2021, but it's it's further aligned with our medication safety strategy and having uh, the health plans adopt uh, our core science in, in that respect. Okay, great. Thank you. And then um, to add on to that, I was, this is Brian. I was just going to say that you know the the um, you know the percentage that relates to 2021 is is incremental to uh, the base we're building off of in uh, in 2020. Okay, good. That's a good good clarification. Um, and then on the the new pace center opening, you said 31 now under contract to open over the next 12 months. How long does it generally take a, a center to reach full capacity? And then I, I guess based on, on the time, do you have a sense for how much incremental revenue just those new centers should add uh, to, to 2021? Yeah, Sean, that's a good question. Uh, this is Brian again. Uh, in, in terms of the amount of time it typically takes for a center to get to full enrollment, uh, what we've seen is it's somewhere between two to three years. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing that I'll note is uh, that many of the newer customers that we've brought on recently have been growing at even faster rates than uh, than what we've seen in the past. So uh, we would anticipate to get to those levels uh, quicker than uh, the, the two- to three-year time frame. Uh, of the centers that are planned to open, you know, they're spread out over a 12-month period, so I, the contribution from those will be relatively low next year. But uh, I would uh, estimate it's going to be about $5 million, uh, in terms of contribution just in 2021 related to those new centers. Okay. Um, very helpful. Uh, thank you again. Our next question is from the line of Ryan Daniels with William Blair. Your line is open. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, good morning. This is Jared Hoston for Ryan. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. I uh, wanted to maybe just stick with some of the pace enrollment dynamics. So I think in the press release you mentioned, um, you know, seeing outside contribution from for-profits just in terms of re-enrollment. Uh, just curious if there's anything more specific you can add to that to provide some more context. Um, you know, any way to maybe quantify sort of that impact and, you know, how sustainable do you expect that just when thinking about the enrollment transfer 2021? This is Cal. Um, I, you know, it's, it reminds us of hospice back in the day when we were in the hospice business. When the four profits came in at the turn of the in, in 2000, it uh, all boats r r rose, but uh, they were much more 
uh, aggressive uh, in bringing on new clients. And we're seeing the exact same thing with the, the new for-profits that are coming into PACE. They're much more aggressive. They're much more business-centered, focused. Um, so, it, and I think it's just the start. We've had some recent calls with a couple of them that are coming in um, as recently as yesterday, and I think it's just the start. I think you're going to see a lot of for-profit activity in 2021 and a lot of growth in PACE. Got it. Thanks. That's uh, that's helpful. And then you know, maybe just just one other uh, quick follow up. So just on the Personica asset, you know, it sounds like you know, expect that to obviously be creative in Q4 and, and have a positive contribution in 2021. When when thinking about kind of the potential cross selling that you can do with that asset, um, you know, are there more investments needed at this point, or, or more integration? related efforts to kind of get to that point, or is there anything unique with maybe the typical cadence of the sales cycle? Just trying to get a sense of how impactful cross-selling can be to 2021. Uh, this is Ursula. Yes, um, it's a wonderful acquisition, a, a, a great company that's been in the market for a decade, and um, we definitely see opportunity there. Uh, CMS actually is requiring new programs to have a company like uh, Pharmastar or Personica in place prior to starting, so that was one of the drivers uh, in our desire, along with the um, uh, uh, increased scrutiny of PACE organizations, very similar to MA plans, and their audit expertise is certainly uh, something that we desired as well to add to our list of services. So we see a great opportunity for cross-selling and are starting to see that already. Uh, as far as integration, we would um, envision that it would make our data analytics more robust in, uh, where appropriate, and that will take some integration, but nothing, nothing too big. Yeah, I, th I think this is. I think to your point of extra assets, the answer is no. It really won't take any extra assets to make this happen. Got it. Okay, thanks, guys. Yeah, that's a uh, that's helpful color. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of David Grossman with Stiefel. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, I wonder if we could just go back to the bookings, um, you know, for a moment. And, you know, perhaps you could, you know, quantify or give us some order of magnitude in terms of what that 43%, uh, you know, represents as, you know, in terms of dollars uh, of visibility into next year. And, and just as a, you know, a, a follow-up to that question, you know, we've had, you know, fits and starts in terms of visibility over the last couple of years as it relates to, you know, contract ramps, et cetera. And I, I'm just curious, you know, whether you feel or why you would feel that you've got, you know, better visibility now than maybe you've had, you know, taking obviously and stripping out the COVID-19 impact uh, on visibility, but even before that we were having um, again, some some issues at least with predicting timing. So, again, just curious on you know kind of quantifying how much you know that base represents going into next year, and and why you think you've got better visibility today than you maybe had over the last couple of years as it relates to bookings conversion. Yeah, David, I'll take that. Appreciate the question. I think that you know to address the issue relative to visibility. Um, we've really done a lot to enhance the sales team and our sales processes over the last year. So we um, came into the year with a, um, a pretty small sales team. Um, we've expanded that uh, quite a bit throughout the year. And 
due to the challenges that we faced with COVID and trade shows and getting our word out, we've really brought in more of a higher level executive group of sales reps that allow us access to decision makers a little bit quicker. The um, that helps in terms of really understanding the pipeline, tracking that, and being able to manage that a little bit better. The other um, component that gives us confidence is the types of contracts that we're signing are more specific to our core um, medication safety technology. So they're much more predictable in terms of the uh, patient population that we're serving, um, when clients need to start those programs and stop those programs. Um, some of them are still related to the Medicare compliance um, and where we've been able to add on uh, the medication safety technology similar to what the EMTM model is. And so that's given us a, a little more uh, confidence in the predictability for next year. Um, and and that's, that's, that's been the, the key driver for, for that. Uh, relative to quantifying that, we'll be able to provide um, more insight to that um, as we in the future as we provide more guidance for 2021. Okay, great. David, Thank just, you. To, just to kind of build on that, because I know your question is, you know, how do we how do we kind of bridge to, to the 2021 numbers and get comfortable with that? Um, so if, if you assume right now, based on the numbers that we've put out there, that you know we're going to have about 60 million dollars of growth next year, call it 30 million coming from the organic growth within pace that we're seeing, uh, you know, return to normal levels. So we're encouraged from that standpoint. Another 15 million or so coming from the, the Personica uh, acquisition. You've got close to another 5 million from the Health Mart, McKesson, uh, Go Live in, at the end of the first quarter next year. Uh, and that puts us, you know, with a gap of probably about 10 million, um, which is much smaller than what we started out this year with. Uh, and given the fact that uh, we've talked about that uh, a number of the, the bookings this year uh, relate specifically to 2021, uh, I think that, you know, we have a much higher degree of confidence in uh, the figures that, that we've put forward at this point uh, as it compares to, to last year coming into the year. Got it. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. Very helpful. Um, and, and, Brian, just back to your comment about the revision to the fourth quarter, um, some of that being, you know, the, the seasonal downtick in CMRs. I mean, I would have thought that would have already been factored into guidance. So did something change, um, in the, you know, as it relates to the fourth quarter and, and that seasonality? No, so, and, and you know, my comment earlier may have been a little bit misleading. Uh, I was just noting that typically we do have uh, a lower level of CMRs that take place in the fourth quarter. Uh, we had been anticipating some uh, additional adherence-related work in Q4, uh, and as Kevin's talked about, that's, um, you know, that's really been deprioritized in 2020 for a lot of plans. Um, so that does represent a good portion of the um, reduction for, for Q4. Uh, Q, CMR levels should be consistent with, with prior forecasts, um, but uh, some of the adherence work that we typically see in the second half of the year did not materialize um, as we anticipated. I see. Okay. And then just, I, I mean, obviously, you know, pretty impressive pace enrollment in uh, October. Um, however, I mean, do you have any set, I mean, obviously we've been at depressed levels, so 
I'm assuming some of that represents pent-up demand. Um, so if, in fact, that's the case, do you have any sense for when, you know, whether you've satisfied a lot of that in October or whether, you know, you could see those elevated levels extending, you know, throughout the quarter so that the base entering next year, you know, is even higher, you know, than what you're projecting today? Well, what I mentioned, this gal, what I mentioned, uh, David, uh, earlier was that we, we actually are seeing a, a replication of October's numbers in November, um, and we're only three days into November. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to your question, but it's speculative, but it seems to be um, pent-up demand is not going to just happen in October. It seems to be, it seems to be that they, they – plus I think they're also – you know, we mentioned before the uh, there is an impact on the four, with the four profits coming in. I mean, they're much more you know aggressive. Um, so I, I think that the well, we'll see what happens. But it looks to us from this vantage point today that the census is going to continue growing like it like it is. And, and did you see uh, an inflection? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to add that um, with the challenges that we've seen in long-term care facilities. There's a greater desire for people to be in the community to receive, um, you know, managed long-term care as opposed to in, in uh, institutional facilities. So we would envision, and PACE organizations certainly see this as an opportunity to get the message out about the benefits of being home and being taken care of from a long-term perspective. Right. And, Ursula, did you see, you know, some, you know, pause with the not, with the for-profit PACE organizations, you know, at the beginning and during the pandemic that, because I think we have pretty good momentum going into it with for-profits. So are, are we just starting to see the inflection point that was, you know, manifesting itself before the pandemic, or is this kind of too early to really tell what's going on? Uh, we did not see the for-profits stopping. They opened their facilities on time that they had planned. So I would envision that this type of growth will continue. We opened it actually one represents in one oh, non-profit. I'm sorry. So we opened one for-profit and one non-profit uh, November 1st. So they're still they're still moving. I was just going to add, David, that the number of for-profits in our uh, pipeline of centers to open is, is materially higher than it's been in the past. So uh, we're seeing a significant contribution from the for-profits. And I think, I think Brian, I think that's putting putting pressure on the non-profits because we're seeing a lot of site extensions where they're adding uh, adjacent sites now, uh, which they hadn't been doing before. So I think it's uh, giving them some pause, too. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, good luck uh, for the balance of the year. Thanks, Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Matthew Gilmore with Baird. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Um, I guess I'd have to follow up on the on the conversation you were just having. For the 30 million of growth you need for 2021 um, on the organic side from from pace enrollment, um, can you give us a sense for sort of what you're assuming within that? Is that an assumption that we kind of get back to normal? Or that you know the elevated trends you've seen in November and October continue just sort of where you know kind of just wanted to understand kind of how aggressive or not aggressive 
the assumption is behind that $30 million. The, the numbers that uh, we're assuming are kind of our historical growth rates, uh, while October and November are very strong, um, it, you know, we're not assuming that uh, any sort of elevated enrollment is uh, included in that forecast. It's, it's really based on historical trending. Okay, and, and as we, as you know, many of us track the, the national pace enrollment, would you know? Do, do you think that you? you know, it seems like maybe what you're saying is that the sep- there's a wider separation between where your pace enrollment has been versus what we see with the national numbers. Maybe there's some noise in the national numbers, um, but I, I was just kind of curious if you'd agree with that that there is maybe some separation, or or maybe the national numbers are just a little lagging a little behind what you're actually seeing on the ground? I would say that, in general, we have a higher concentration of the startup uh, programs that tend to grow at much faster rates. And what you're seeing at a national level is uh, kind of weighted by some of the larger programs that I think we've historically seen uh, either not grow or uh, or being challenged by some of the issues uh, related to COVID that Cal was referencing during his um, comments earlier, specifically in, in the Northeast. Um, and that's not where we have a very large footprint. So uh, I would say that our, our programs do seem to be growing quicker. We also have uh, a large presence in California uh, where there is a higher concentration of the Medicaid-only uh, participants enrolled in PACE programs, which are not represented in the, um, the Medicare statistics, uh, and those those are growing uh, quite quick. Okay, um, and then last question I had was, did, is there any update you can provide with respect to the enhanced MTM pilot with CMMI? I was just, you know, curious how the how the latest year has, has gone and, and when we might expect to, to see some data out of it. Yeah, we we uh, Scott, we we were very fortunate about three or four weeks ago that the uh, the Pace group up in the Northern Plains, the Blue Cross programs there, gave us the green light to go ahead and publish, because heretofore we have not been able to publish anything. Um, so we now have two papers that are in peer review uh, that should be out very shortly. Um, the one talks about the uh, you know over the three years. Uh, the first three years of the program that uh, we intervened on. Out of the 250,000 people, we intervened on the highest risk. We intervened on about 42,000 of them, and we saved Medicare $128 million on uh, mostly on hospitalizations. So the papers are forthcoming, finally. We're finally, you know, allowed to talk about it a little bit. Uh, so you'll, you'll see some publications coming out probably in the next month, depending on how long the period is. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Our next question comes from the line of Sandy Draper with Truist. Your line is open. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, good morning. Uh, I guess the first question, uh, probably just for Brian, just to make sure uh, I'm comparing apples to apples. When you guys report bookings, are is that capped on an annualized basis? Or, for example, if you have a bookings event that, could take over a couple of years, uh, and, it, and it could inflate bookings. I'm just trying to think when you're talking about the growth in bookings, 
is that apples to apples are there things in there that could inflate or deflate the actual percentage growth since we don't get a, a dollar number. I'm just trying to think how to triangulate bookings growth versus future revenue growth. Yeah, so that, that is on an annualized basis, um, not, uh, you know, it's not going to be multi-year. Okay. Okay, great. Um, and then the, the second question that relates to one or two previously asked ones, you guys seem to have pretty good visibility on the pace business. It's been a little bit more challenging on the, uh, on the tech side of, of getting people to not just sign up, but timing. You, you commented in the, uh, that Health Mart is now, are they contractually bound so that therefore basically you're going to start generating revenue on a certain date regardless of go live? And then also, why is it, why is it hard to get these customers if there's so much value? Why do they keep sometimes kicking the can down the road uh, and not just saying, let's get this done as fast as possible? Obviously, COVID may have an impact, but it seems like that has been a longer trend that things get pushed out. They eventually get done, but there's this kick it down the road, we'll, we'll do it next quarter, or next quarter, oh, well, now we'll get to it. I, I can take the first one, and maybe, Kevin, you want to, or Ursula, you want to take the second? Um, on the Health Mart McKesson deal, uh, we do have a uh, committed uh, timeline to launch the project, and, in fact, they have already paid a pretty significant uh, implementation and setup fees. Uh, so that's happened. Those fees would be recognized. Uh, over the course of the contract once it goes live. Uh, so those fees have, have been paid. We've been doing work to prepare for the launch. Uh, so, you know, it's a mutual agreement in terms of the, the launch date based on uh, having everything uh, as, as part of the uh, offering that they want to kind of set up and ready to go. So uh, we're in a good position to launch that at the end of the, the first quarter. And then, you know, Ursula and Kevin, maybe I'll, I'll give the next piece to you. Yeah, this is Kevin. This is Kevin. Um, I I do think one of the things tied to program launch, particularly in the pharmacy space, is a lot of the uh, new programs, new technology, uh, would typically launch at summer trade vendor shows, the wholesaler shows, which were all canceled this year. So that was the primary reason to not launch uh, some some projects. The other thing that I think is one of the most exciting things that, that I don't want to have downplayed is the, the integration that we're doing with Pioneer Rx. So in addition to the work with HealthMart Pharmacies, the integration of the MedWise technology within Prescribed Wellness, um, Pioneer is one of the fastest growing um, pharmacy dispensing systems in the uh, pharmacy space, and they're uh, – really working at a rapid pace to get MedWise integrated now that we've signed um, the contract with them in addition to um, some other technology integrations that we're doing with them that puts us closer to uh, having information right at the point of dispensing within the pharmacy. So although a lot of the, the business was slow just the, the way that programs typically do product launches, um, there's a lot of optimism heading into next year uh, with some of these new integrations, and we're seeing the pharmacies come out of that that uh, that transition. I think this is Cal. I think the other thing too um, it's a very good question. The other thing is that the the clients of McKesson and Amerisweisberg and Cardinal, the pharmacies, have been inundated uh, and and really almost closed their doors for a long time. You know, they were doing, walk, they're walking stuff out to the cars to people and things. There was no time to, 
to implement. It was not, not the right time to implement a new program for them. They were trying to survive and help their patients. I mean, it was a very difficult time for pharmacy for the first few months of the COVID. So it makes sense not to start a new, a new program, even though it was ready to go, and even though McKesson had paid us a lot of money to get started with it, um, which we haven't recognized yet. Uh, I think it just had to do with the clients. They were they were struggling. They were having a tough time. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephanie Davis with SVB Glee Rink. Your line is open. Hey, team. Thank you for taking my question. How Hi, Stephanie. I... Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? All right, perfect. That's good, yeah. So, Cal, I, I noticed the tone in the press release and their prepared comments is a bit more case-specific than prepared. Am I reading a little too much into that, or is that indicative of sources of growth for 2021? And just as a follow-up to that, how should we think about the mix going forward as you're kind of seeing this healthy growth in pace and some, some choppiness in the midwife side? Steph, I, I, I apologize. I, the first sentence or two, I could not discern it. Could you ask me that again? I'm sorry. No, no worries about that. I think uh, my cell phone service is ending with the world ending over here. I was just saying the, the comments in the press release, um, they all seemed a little bit more pace-centric. Is that oh, indicative yeah. of, of mix for the coming year? Oh, I don't think so. But you know, there's just so much going on right now in pace. It's 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 unbelievable what is transitioning. I mean, what's happening with the for profits and the, you know, and the growth. The growth. We've never seen so many pace organizations expand with to the next county over with new sites, for example. We've never had this type of uh, expansion, and I, and I think it's prompted probably because of competition. You know, they. They want to make sure they're capturing their zip codes that they can before some for-profit comes in, you know. Um, but it's really, it's, it's, just, it's just the fact that, you know, we've never seen this type of growth. It's a real spurt um, with, with the PACE organizations. As far as uh, the other things going on, we've never had an opportunity like this, to, to, but this is a longer-range thing to, to get ourselves involved in almost 20,000 community pharmacies with our software. Uh, and the model that we used in EMTM with 400 pharmacies and, and 400 pharmacists that we certified in Medwise in the community pharmacies is a good example of how we know we can, we can propagate this in tens of thousands of uh, community pharmacies throughout the country. So that's a really exciting thing. That's what we always wanted to do is get this software out there, but that's going to take, you know, it's one, one pharmacy at a time. It's going to take a while. Uh, pace stuff seems to happen uh, quicker. So maybe that was probably the, the, the accent on pace, I guess. But uh, as far as the long-term thing, it's uh, spectacular for us to be able to have these relationships with uh, so many uh, people. And, and, the, and we didn't even mention the academics. We've also now uh, got an opportunity to penetrate about 100 schools of pharmacy as a kind of our farm team to get the, the students certified when they're in school before they graduate, and, and that will roll out over the next year or two. So there's a lot of stuff going on outside of PACE, but it's just that the PACE kind of took the center stage because of uh, how robust it is right now. Understood. Some more function of, of excitement around that growth and stepping back from Medwise growth. Mm -hmm. And then this follow-up is for Brian. When I look at the 2021 outlook, 
and see that it reflects 20% top riding growth. How much of that is a function of easy comp this year versus the ramp up of new bookings? And looking at the commentary in 2021 that went from double digit growth to 20% in this quarter, what would that growth look like if not for these easy comps? Well, I think that, you know, going into next year, you know, Cal just had the opportunity to expand on, on pace. I mean, that has been a very uh, consistent and healthy part of our, um, an important part uh, of our growth in the past. And, and we've certainly been challenged in that area over the past six months or so. And so, you know, starting to see that, that rebound uh, back to normal levels um, is, is really critical as we go into next year. So uh, it's exciting to see what's happening uh, in pace right now because uh, that, uh, as I was kind of doing the crosswalk before, if you think about the, the $60 million of incremental revenue, uh, you know, pace represents close to half of that. Uh, and so that is, that is very important that we, uh, we do continue to see those, those same levels of um, net census enrollment uh, over the coming uh, months and quarters, and I think we're really encouraged about what we've been seeing over the past couple months um, and the pipeline that, that is sitting in front of us of new centers that, that are planned to enroll are, are certainly going to help to support that. Uh, and then, you know, the Personica acquisition, adding another $15 million and some of the other things that we've already won that are set to, to roll out next year. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of it as, as – uh, uh, you know, it's an easier comp going into next year. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in order to get to those numbers. But uh, what I think we're optimistic about is the fact that a lot of the bookings that we've uh, had this year really relate to 2021, uh, in fact, almost half of them. So um, while uh, we've had really nice progress uh, this year, much of the focus has really shifted to 2021 versus 2020. And uh, so I think we're, we're pretty encouraged by what we're, what we're seeing at this point. And so, you know, if you back out the Personica contribution, you're probably looking at about 15% uh, organic growth. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, going into next year, um, you know, there's still some uncertainty around what's going to happen with, with COVID, but we feel very comfortable that, uh, that these numbers right now accurately reflect uh, the visibility that we have uh, into the business. All right. That's super helpful. Thank you, guys. Our next question comes from the line of Steve Halper with Cantor. Your line is open. Hi. I was just wondering if you could provide a little bit more uh, detail on the restrictions that you mentioned around the CMRs. What sort of happened there, and was this something that sort of cropped up during the quarter? Uh, you know, was it, uh, you know, and, and, or, or should you have been expecting this to have happened during, you know, in, in advance of the quarter? No, I'll address that. It is something that um, did come up during the quarter. Um, it's We were able to pivot relatively quickly, um, but it still created a little bit of lag in terms of, being able to reach the more difficult to reach patients for whatever reason, um, whether it's a patient population that um, is uh, has phone numbers that are difficult to reach, um, community pharmacy relationships that make it difficult to reach, um, maybe even health literacy issues. So they're a challenging patient population. So having to to sort of change strategy and pivot uh, took a little bit of a, an operational shift, um, but. 
something that we've been able to overcome. And, and what were the exact restrictions that were imposed? So in, in many times uh, with difficult-to-reach patients, you had the opportunity to provide CMRs with uh, their caregivers, their prescribers, and there's, that's no longer uh, allowed. And is that and that's and, and that stays in place. Correct. Well, it it is allowed in an instance of uh, the person is um, uh, has uh, competency issues. So there is an instance that's very specific. It's not just because they cannot be reached. Got it. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Sean Whelan with Piper Sandler. Your is open. Hi. Thank you for taking the question. It's um, Jess on for Sean. So our first question is just on Personica. Um, curious to know where it falls kind of on the spectrum of your PACE portfolios. You outlined it um, at the analyst day. And um, interested if the acquisition is adding incremental capabilities to the PACE pharmacy offering um, or if it's more a matter of just kind of expanding the footprint into a net, um, I think, 40% more PACE pharmacies than where you've been previously. So I'll take the, the first piece, and then, Ursula, maybe you want to jump in on uh, some of the capabilities. But uh, the revenues related to Personica are going to be split between uh, the Persona Fill uh, piece of the business, which is uh, Pace Pharmacy. So you'll see that in our CareVention product revenue. Uh, and then the, uh, the remainder amount will be related to Pharmastar uh, and incorporated into our CareVention uh, Pace Solutions line item. Yes, and uh, the specific competencies it brings to us is their, um, in addition to their relationships and the opportunity to cross-sell, is the focus on the PACE-specific Part D requirements. Um, all of PACE organizations go through a one-third financial audit, which uh, routinely we're in the process of in collaboration uh, with Personica now as a part of the team that gives us an opportunity to, to um, also enhance what we know from a pharmacy perspective um, into the uh, benefits management space. And uh, their audit expertise is something of uh, great value in particular because of the scrutiny. I don't want to say the greater scrutiny, but um, scrutiny that's coming up to the uh, Medicare Advantage level for PACE um, and the ability for them to be charged for um, anything that they thought, any of their findings, which was not true in the past. So we really see it as an opportunity to bring that uh, additional level of experience to our clients and our mutual clients. Got it. Um, and then just curious to know kind of how PACE um, PMPM has been trending year to date. I think um, in January the average was around 490. Um, is the Personica acquisition going to – is that adding incremental um, potential PMPM or is it filled differently and just overall how is PMPM trending in PACE um, intervention solutions year to date? The majority of the revenue on um, uh, on the non-pharmacy side of Personica is billed on a, a per claim uh, basis, so um, it's it's a very low uh, amount, which will effectively reduce the overall PM PM um, that you see on average for our PACE members. Um, uh, but 
uh, you know, incrementally we are seeing expansion on an uh, absolute dollar basis. So we'll, we'll be communicating more uh, on that uh, with our year-end numbers. Got it. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. And I'm not showing any further questions, so I'll now turn the call back to management for closing remarks. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, we hope that this uh, provides some information that was helpful in uh, your decision-making. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the program. Thank you for participating, and have a wonderful day.